welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Last year, there were 42,823 strikeouts in baseball. Pitchers averaged 8.8 Ks per nine. Both of those marks were the most ever. We'll talk late round contributors and strikeouts and runs scored a little bit later on. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today on a hump day, Wednesday, June 10th. And you know, I should have realized this yesterday while looking at Adam, that he has the ultimate Pup 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 poker face pup pup poker face. Look at this guy taking Taylor us out Swift. last night. Love Taylor Swift. <sighs> that was stuff. Just kidding. I know it's Lady Gaga. I want everybody. I to hate. Speak out. I hate so much about Adam right now. I hate Look. that. I hate that joke he just made. <laughs> I hate the way he played poker last night and the fact that he won. Uh, Adam reached a point. Reached a point about we started at seven, maybe seven ten. He reached a point about seven fifty, where he was like. I got to go. I got to like put my kid to bed. And so he just started calling basically every single all in. <laughs> like you probably got to the flop on 80% of the hands last night. I'm going to say, I really did not play one hand that I didn't think I should play. I told somebody asked me when we started doing this poker thing, are you a good poker player? I said, I am a lucky poker player. I always get good cards. And I stayed true to my word. I got didn't, good cards. Didn't time you after win time. one? We did this on the, the fantasy football today uh, Twitch stream, twitch.com slash FF today for those of you who want to follow along uh, because, you know, Adam doesn't want to do his job of promoting it. Uh, didn't you take Ben Gretsch out with, or you took someone out on an all in with like two, three suited? Mm, I don't think so. I'm five, pretty six sure. Suited. I think I lost the five, six suited him. No, I think, well, I think you took me out when you had like five, six suited or something like that. It was very, five, upsetting. six suited. It's not that bad. I mean, that's like the worst hand I get. That's what I'm saying. Like the worst hand I get. Is five, <laughs> the worst. Suited. I, I took Frank out. <laughs> he took me I out. Took Chris out. I took, I took a lot of people out last night. It was, it was fun. Join us next time. Next Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. Oh, gosh. Scott, you dabble with any card games? I actually prefer blackjack over poker, if anything, but I don't know how we would make that work. Well, what what kind of poker were you playing? I guess it's Hold'em. Texas Hold'em, right? Hold okay. Em. Yeah, that's that's the that's the only one that interests me. And I don't know if it's the only one that interests me because it was on TV for so long. And so, uh, you know, you just... You just you just become familiar with what you see. But yeah, that's that's really the only version of, of poker that I have any interest in. want to remind everyone that the MLB draft is tonight and probably the most excited I'm ever going to be for the MLB draft because there's not really much else going on. RJ Anderson, baseball writer for CBSSports.com, will join us on the show tomorrow to help us recap the first round. We'll talk about some of those players who are drafted tonight on tomorrow's episode uh, from a dynasty perspective. And maybe we'll slap some player comps on them because who doesn't love player comps? Uh, your daily Scott. baseball. What's up? Scott. Scott doesn't I don't love, love player comps. Don't I love player comps. player comps. Okay. No, I don't like projections. I'm good with player comps. <laughs> your daily baseball update to see where we stand is that we need, 
Where is it? That is delightful. One of the first things that I saw this morning was Adam sent me a video of his son saying, and that was great. Thank you. It's three words for him. <laughs> really appreciated that. All right. That's, that's how they used to write it out in the old headlines. Baseball. They put a space in between it. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. We did watch more baseball. We watched a Twins-Dodgers game from like 2006. Uh, it was awful. <laughs> no more Garcia Parra got a base hit. <laughs> oh, cool. Today on the show, we are going to talk about what makes a league-winning player, and we will get into those category sleepers for both runs and strikeouts. All right, what makes a league-winning player? This is our general topic conversation. And we'll also talk about, you know, I have a few names from last year who I consider league winners, both hitters and pitchers, and we'll try and find a common theme among those players. But I just kind of want to open it up. General conversation. Scott, start us off here. How would you define a, quote, league winner in fantasy baseball? A league winner is somebody who ends up performing like a high-end player, and yet you didn't have to make a high-end investment in him. So it could be it could be like a late-round pick. It could be even like a middle-round pick, probably, in terms of drafting, or it could be somebody you pick up off the waiver wire. Um, so that's, that's how I tend to think of league winners in you know, thinking back through my history of playing fantasy baseball, when I think back to individual teams I had, I mostly think of those types of players, not so much the guy I took in round one or two. Uh, so, so that would, yeah, that's how I define it. Adam, Chris, I'll just open it up to both of you guys. Um, does it always necessarily have to be a late round hitter or pitcher? Does it have to be a waiver wire addition? Because no. I think that Cody Bellinger almost fits the mold of a league winner from last year, even though he was drafted in the third or fourth round because he ended up performing like a top three hitter in both points and Roto. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's it's easier to, to be a league winner in fantasy football, fantasy baseball. The rosters are so much deeper uh, that it is harder to be. But I think, yeah, like someone like Cody Ballinger, who you could have gotten with your fourth round pick last year, maybe a little later even, uh, you know, he was like the, fifth or sixth first baseman off the board. That absolutely counts as a league winner, or at least the type of player who goes a long way in helping you win your league. You know, obviously if you can get first round value from a 10th rounder like Rafael Devers or even, you know, Pete Alonso and Catal Marte were even later, they were like 18th rounders. That's, obviously more valuable than Cody Bellinger, but you need, you need multiple players to dramatically outperform their value. And Cody Bellinger absolutely did that. Yeah. And you could even, you could even make the standards a little bit lower. I played in a Roto league a couple years ago where one team just, just ran away with it and they had Betts and JD Martinez. It was two seasons ago. So that was when like all the Red Sox were great. Those two guys were incredible. And, you know, Betts, not only was he the best player in fantasy, but he was a lot better. Even, I don't even know what his ADP was that year. Maybe he was like fifth, but he was a lot better than like Nolan Arenado. Um, 
I can't remember if Trout got hurt that year or missed time. Yeah, he did. Right. So it's like, even though Betts was like maybe the fifth pick, I could probably look up his ADP real quick, but he even felt like a league winner just because he had such an amazing year. And then you combine him with JD Martinez in that scenario, who was probably a second round pick, you know? Um, so you, you could go that there's one other definition and that's a guy who just does it in September when your fantasy playoffs are on the line. Sure. Like maybe Anthony Escafani, who we mentioned yesterday, maybe uh, Garrett Hampson. Hampson. Garrett right? Hampson. Yeah. yeah. That's another type of league winner, but uh yeah, Bellinger's a great example. If yeah, you had Bellinger, that was a, one of the best picks you could have made. I think maybe the best way to think about it is more in terms of, you know, auction values, even if you do yeah. play in a, in a draft. But, you know, you get $260 to, to build your roster. And most players that you draft are going to be neutral or below what their cost is. You know, for most picks, you're kind of just hoping to break even. Uh so what you need then and what really makes a difference is when you get that $11 Cody Bellinger who turns into a $55 player or you're not even $1, your reserve round Jorge Soler who turns into a $25 player. That's really, I think, where you really that's, – that's, I think, the best way to showcase that is, is the surplus value that these players give you. I was thinking a little differently in terms of auction values because, you know, the, the definition I gave for a league winning player was kind of something you could only really determine in a retrospective way. But in, in terms of forecasting, I think I think of an auction league. Who are who is who are those few players and, and it may only be one, it may be one or two that like I feel like they make my path so much easier that I'm willing to pay whatever it takes to get them. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't think of a great example this year. I'm not sure there is a guy like that this year, but in in the past, I remember Jose Altuve being that guy one year because he's a lead in batting average. He was lead in stolen bases and he played a really weak position and just getting an advantage in two scarce categories while filling a scarce position. Like that was... Uh, you know, in an auction context specifically where you have more control over the way the rest of your picks are going to go. That was somebody I had to have that year. So let's take a look at the top five or six league winning hitters from 2019. See if, I don't think we're going to find a common theme among all of them, but maybe if we can find two common themes among the players and kind of use that to maybe decipher someone who we think can be a league winner this year. I think that can definitely help. We've already mentioned Cody Bellinger, uh, who had an ADP of 42.4 last year, finishes a top three hitter in both formats. Rafael Devers, 137.7 ADP last year, according to the NFBC. And he was the number eight hitter in points leagues, number four in Roto. Uh, And a few other names here. Marcus Semyon, 224.8. 224.8. Scott's boy. Top five hitter in points leagues. He was number 18 hitter in Roto. Pete Alonzo, a 224 ADP. He was a top 14 hitter in both formats. Cattell Marte, outside the top 200 as well, 217.9. He was top 16 in both formats. And then Jorge Soler, of course, with that massive second half. He was a top 20 hitter in both formats. His ADP was outside the top 300. 100, 328.7. Scott, just hearing these names, is there anything that kind of comes to the top of your head as 
a theme, if there's a common denominator amongst some of these players here where we can potentially use that to help us figure out who can break out or be a league winner this season? I would say not for not for all of them. I mean, I could lump maybe three or four of them together under a certain umbrella, but just make something up, Scott. <laughs> just make something up. Yeah. Well, I, I think in I in got the, something in the all case right, of it. all of them besides Semyon, these were all players with, uh, you know, who were former prospects. I think. In pretty much all of their cases, yeah, but that was a decade ago. You know, I'm talking about recent former prospects. Every single one of these guys had been, you know, a top. I don't know if Cattell Marte was ever like a top 50 prospect, uh, but they'd all been top 100 prospects, certainly within the last five years, let's say. Um, And in Devers and Bellinger's case, it was sort of a bounce back opportunity. So that, or, or yeah. maybe it's more accurate to say post hype breakouts. Yeah, <laughs> I, I certainly think that was true. Bellinger took a big step back his sophomore year. Devers, I, we talked about how he, I've talked about how he was the ultimate blind faith pick last year. Solaire, I mean, most people had kind of given up on him, but he used to be a really big deal. Uh, so it was just kind of post type sleepers, I guess. Bellinger, you know, he still went pretty high, but. But still, kind of post-hype there. Um, you know, Alonzo, of course, was a rookie just breaking in. And I he w- of these six players, he was the one I went after the most aggressively last year. Because I just, I didn't understand the lack of enthusiasm for him. Given well, that he- we didn't know he was breaking with the club until like the last week of spring training, right? Uh, I think we do a little before that, but we didn't, we, you know, it was, it was, we were part of the way into spring training when we find, found out, uh, it, there had at least been rumors for a while that that might happen. But the thing was, even if it didn't, he seemed like an obvious candidate to be called up in, you know, mid April or whatever, uh, just a couple weeks into the season. So I don't know. I, I, 80 grade power bat who, um, yeah, I mean, Considering rookies tend to get some, I don't know. It's it's weird sometimes the way certain rookies become overhyped and end up going too early in drafts. But then I feel like the majority of them don't. The majority of them, people just stay away from for whatever reason. Alonzo was one of those guys last year. Adam, what was your theme? You said you had one. Well, I think when you look at Cattell Marte and the way he ended 2000. 18, when you look at Cody Bellinger and Marcus and uh, Rafael Devers and how good they were in 2017, you couldn't really say this for Alonso because he hadn't been up, but Bellinger, Devers, Marte had small sample sizes of being really great. And they were able to put it together um, for a full season. So Lair just, he wasn't really ever all that good, but it, I feel like he was okay in 2018, but he, he could never stay healthy. So I, the common theme is really with Bellinger, Devers, and and Marte, and buying into small sample sizes, which you shouldn't necessarily do fully. But <laughs> I do like to see that somebody. I do like to see you know success, and we talk about that with Giolito. Like Giolito had the highest ERA among qualifiers in 2018, and then was amazing in 2019. But he did sprinkle in some like really really good starts, which is why I liked him in 2019. I drafted him but I gave up on him too early and didn't really get the benefit of it. Um, 
but I, I'm just I'm just saying that it's I know it's a small sample size, but hey, it's better than being bad, right? Well, it, it's so, kind of the like if you show a skill, you own it yeah, idea. There you um, go. Although in what's really like we're not going to come up with like a grand unified theory. No, of, we're not. Like because these players like shared some similarities, but Rafael Devers really had never shown the kind of ability at the major league level, even when he was decent in 2017, uh, he had never shown first round pick potential. And so in that case, you know, one thing to keep in mind is guys who get called up really young, don't give up on them because if you're in the majors, I think Rafael Devers, did he get called up at 19 or 20? I think it was 20. Okay, if you get, I mean, if you get called up at 19 and you struggle for a couple of years, you still like most 19 year olds who get a reasonable amount of playing time in Major League Baseball. I think it's like 50% of them end up in the Hall of Fame. And for 20 year olds, it's still uh, like a 20% or 25% for like a mid, if you get like 400 plate appearances as a 20 year old or something. And so if you get that opportunity that young and you show anything, I mean, just getting that opportunity, don't even, you don't even have to show anything. If you get that opportunity that at that age, that is someone you should keep betting on because chances are they're going to be an impact player. Uh, that's, that's why we're still taking Vladimir Guerrero as high as we are, even though, you know, I think it may be a little over aggressive for 2020 there does nobody on this podcast, nobody on this podcast doubts he'll be, you know, a top 30 type of player eventually. It's and this just is a what, question of, this is why you take them though. This this yeah, show yeah. today is why you have to if you have to reach for Vladimir Guerrero, you take him. You know, you don't have to take him in every draft you do, but he's got the potential to be Devers or Bellinger. So, yeah. you know, I think this is this episode makes me bullish on on Vlad more so I think than other people are. Yeah, I think that's one thing that you can look at. Guys like Vladimir Guerrero, guys like Eloy Jimenez, Bo Bichette, uh, just going through trying to find more Let's stick with those three for now and, and see if we can come up with more names. But basically, one thing that you, you could target, Luis Roberts, another one. When it's those young guys with that prospect hype at that age, one thing to say is, is this the last time I might be able to get them this cheap? Is this the last time I might be able to take Vladimir Guerrero outside of the second round? It very well could be. And so that's the kind of thing where you know maybe if you're looking for that, those are the type of players to target as league winners. And we've said this about Fernando Tatis as well, Chris, sure. where this might be the last time you can get him outside the first round. If he hits yeah. his, his ceiling, what we think it could be, he could be a perennial top five pick every single year, someone like a Ronald Acuna. So I think he's in that mix as well, where yes, he's going to be drafted early. Some people would argue too early for redraft leagues, but he does have that potential to be a league winner. A name that came to mind for me who I think is a player who has shown us the upside before, has kind of fallen off for the past couple of years due to injury more than anything, is Corey Seager. And we talk about Corey Seager a lot, but would it really surprise anyone if he went out and hit 300 and with a 30 home run pace? And you got I, the wrong. You got the wrong shortstop. Yeah, I mean, been injured too much. It's the guy. It's the guy Frank doesn't like, Carlos Correa. But of too many injuries. Like, Corey Seager needs to take. Corey Seager does need to improve. It's not just about staying healthy. I think he's a good value if he does stay healthy. But where he becomes a league winner is, it's the comp I've made over and over, 
is if he makes that same leap that Freddie Freeman did at his, I think, age 27 season, where it was Freddie Freeman was a very good line drive hitter, good contact skills, hit the ball really hard, but was more like a, I mean, remember, Freddie Freeman used to be like an 18 to 20 homer guy for the first few years of his career. Corey Seager has that same build, that same kind of profile as a player, good contact skills, great hit tool, good raw power, and he's big. Corey Seager's 6'4". And so if he can make that adjustment that Freddie Freeman did to start hitting a few more balls in the air to maximize that raw power, that's where Corey Seager becomes a league winner. Whereas Carlos Correa, if he just stays healthy, I think Carlos Correa can just be a league winner. I, I don't I don't entirely disagree with what you're saying, but I do think there's a tendency for people to underrate how good Corey Seager has already been because, I mean, the stat line Frank laid out for him, a 300 batting average and a 30 homer pace, for his first two-plus years in the majors, he was up a little bit in 2015, but for you know 2015, 2016, 2017, he was a 300 hitter with a 25 homer pace. I mean, he already wasn't that far off from that, so... Uh, yeah, I mean the, the power ceiling, you know, for him to be a true first, second round type, he needs to up his power ceiling. I agree with that, but for him to be a fourth or fifth round type, I don't think he has to do much of anything. And, and I know beating a dead horse here, guys coming off injuries just in general, that that's true for Corey Seager and Carlos Correa. Obviously we know who else it's true for my favorite (laughs) Yankee, Aaron judge. (laughs) Uh, But no, like Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton are two guys who absolutely, there's no question, they have the ability to be top top 10 hitters if they stay healthy. When you're looking for league winners, you know, it's not the same thing as Cody Ballinger, but it could be that same type of return on your investment. Scott, Frank, though, I just like last thing, like Christian McCaffrey was like the third or fourth player off the board. And he was a league winner. You know, it's it's a funny conversation. Christian, uh, Christian Yelich. Could, Maybe there's a thing with with people named Christian. It could be Mike Trout. Oh, you it found be, it, it. Honestly, uh, yeah, like, like it, Mike Trout could be so much better. No, like than he could, Like Mike Trout could hit 320 with 50 homer or 50 homer pace and steal 20 bases and be a league winner as the second player off the board. Yeah, I feel like fantasy football is such a different animal because lineups are so small and production is concentrated to so few players you know you, it really just takes one or two players to have a championship team at fantasy football. it's really obviously. hard it's really hard for Mike Trout to be that much better than the competition the way Christian yeah. McCaffrey was last season too yeah we're getting pretty bold like, calling out Christian Yelich and Mike Trout out here Scott do you have a pick for uh <laughs> for a league winning hitter or have we mentioned one yet that that you agree with uh <laughs> I mean I could I could go back to the same guys I've been touting all preseason like I, I feel like I feel like JD Davis legitimately has early round upside because he, he has the batting average potential he has the power potential if he ends up putting together a stat line uh comparable like I I, I don't want to say it's a coin flip I give Devers a better chance of having better numbers but I I think he and Davis are closer in expect expected production in my mind than their ADP would indicate when it comes to pitchers, unless Adam 
Did you want to mention anyone? Or is this Correa was my guy. Correa. Vladimir Guerrero. I know you like Vlad Guerrero. Yep, Vlad and Correa. When it comes to pitchers from uh, 2019, the ones that stood out most to me, Shane Bieber had a 137 ADP. He was top six in both formats. Charlie Morton. Morton. Gosh, I'm I'm never going to get it. (laughs) 117.6 ADP. He was top seven in both formats last year. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu, 180 ADP. He was top 11 in both formats. And then these two are just Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito. According to the NFBC, had ADPs outside the top 500. And in most, most leagues were waiver wire pickups. So I don't think that you're going to find a theme amongst all of these pitchers here. But you know, I would say Charlie Morton and Ryu is being scared off of their injuries. Uh, Bieber, I feel like they were... Kind of Everybody some, was in on Bieber. Yeah, there was year. there were some signs, yeah. but I mean that that's what goes to show is like I feel like Bieber and Nick Pavetta were being drafted in similar spots last year. One of those pitchers was a league winner. The other one completely sunk your team if you drafted him as like your SP three. So mm. it, I mean, it could go so many different routes. So Scott, what do you think of this list? And you know, I guess league winner is kind of synonymous with breakout, and we've talked a lot about breakouts, but. I mean, who would be, like, if you had just one pick for a league winner this year, a pitcher, who would it be? It would probably be, it would probably be Zach Gallen. I mean, if I had to single out a guy, because I feel like the things that we normally ding a young pitcher for, uh, you know, how, how deep he goes into games, the kind of workload he's going to get basically relative to the established pitchers. I, I don't think that's really in question for Gallon. I mean, he was going seven innings with consistency with the Diamondbacks last year. And as good as he was, I don't think we even saw him at his best. So that that's the easy answer. But, I mean, there could be a Lucas Giolito out there. Uh, there could be several Lucas Giolitos out there. Mitch Keller, is, I know Chris is very high on him. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a good comp for Giolito because the ERA was just, it was over seven. I mean, it was crazy high. Kind of like Giolito had the highest ERA among qualifiers last year. Of course, Keller didn't get enough innings to qualify, so he's got the small sample thing working in his favor in this case. But overall, the point is the upside is very high, uh, particularly getting swings and misses with the introduction of a slider to his arsenal. He was considered a top pitching prospect even before he had what is now his best pitch. So that... uh, that right there tells you a little something about Keller's upside. Uh, it could be Nate Pearson. He makes the rotation. It could be Rich Hill. I, I feel like they're, I feel like starting pitcher because, because I feel like a high-end starting pitcher is the most valuable asset in fantasy right now. Anybody who goes from not being in that group to in it I think has the potential to be a league winner. So it's actually a long list of names, even if they're all kind of, uh, they're not necessarily high probability. Chris, you talk a lot about taking advantage of injury uh, skepticism. And I think that was the case last year with, and kind of ageism again for Charlie Morton and Hyunjin Ryu is someone who I just, just say Morton. It's cool, man. (laughs) Don't let the haters hate. Don't let them get to you. Hyunjin Ryu always showed the ability to pitch effectively, but is constantly hurt. And then Lance Lynn kind of just did something we didn't really expect. Same thing with Lucas Giolito. I don't I don't think you're going to find a common theme amongst these guys, Chris. No, and that's sort of the nature of pitcher. Right. That, you know, 
breakouts come out of nowhere all the time at pitcher. Um, guys, you know, you can't really predict a guy adding two miles per hour to his fastball or, you know, changing his pick, pitch mix in the way that Lucas Giolito did. And so, you know, those kind of things, pitcher the margin for error are so small. Um, but I, I do think, you know, targeting guys who are being downgraded for injuries is one way that you can find value at pitcher as well, because, you know, the best indicator for pat future injuries is past injuries. Uh, there was a really good piece by Jeff Zimmerman on fan last week where he talked about, he looked at the past, how many players who have suffered an injury suffer injuries in the future. And it's like, if you've suffered an arm injury in the past year, you have a 50% chance of going on the IL, which is really high in any given year. Uh, but if you've never suffered an injury, you have like a 30% chance of going on the IL in any given year. So, you know, that's one of those things where, you know, I've talked about it with Stanton where we tend to go, you're injury prone and you're not. And instead of that, it's really a spectrum. And so when you look at someone like Blake Snell, I think is a great example this year of someone who has been hit with the injury prone tag for good reason. He had elbow surgery last July. He had elbow injury issues this spring. However, there's no question in my mind that if Blake Snell pitches, he's going to be incredibly effective. He had the, uh, among all pitchers with at least 50 innings pitched last season, he had the ninth highest difference between his ERA and FIP. He had a 332 FIP last year. He had an elite strikeout rate. He had a few bad starts before going on the IL, and he had some bad luck with balls in play. But I don't have any concern that Blake Snell is going to be one of the 10, 15, 18 best pitchers in baseball whenever he's on the mound. Now, obviously, there's a ton of risk there, but there's a lot of risk with every pitcher. And if you talk about league winners, Blake Snell can be one. He's already been one in his career. Now, just piggybacking off Blake Snell real quick, I'll throw Tyler Glass now in that mix. If we yeah. just have a sprint of a season and he could stay healthy for the whole course of the season, Tyler Glass now, on a per-inning basis, was probably the best starting pitcher, the best pitcher last year. So mm-hmm. if he can stay healthy for a shortened season, he can be a league winner. Max Freed is a popular breakout candidate and someone that I like to target as well. Adam, before we started, you gave us a little bit of a tease that you have an interesting league-winning pitcher. Who might yeah. that be? Blake Snell is actually the inspiration for this league-winning pitcher. Blake Snell, I think he really changed his fortunes by just moving on the mound, and it helped his control dramatically. Robbie Ray is my pitcher. He's working on his delivery. He's working off on falling off to the mound differently to help his control. Um, I know Robbie Ray can get anybody out. You know, He's not even a guy where you care about matchups with Robbie Ray. You just—he's a wild card. If he—if he's completely wild, he could be terrible against anyone. If he's just a little wild, he can be great against anyone. But what he really needs to do is be more efficient so he can pitch deeper into games. So he's one of the best strikeout pitchers in baseball. He's not a huge investment, Robbie Ray. Uh, I'll get the ADP, but yeah, he—he he is my sleep, my kind of sleeper. I have three guys who have been great in the past and are not being drafted because of. In injuries and whatnot, but James Paxton, Carlos Martinez, and Carlos Carrasco. Um, those three guys uh, are a different category. But Robbie Ray, 42nd pitcher off the board, 152nd overall, right after David David Price, Julio Arias, Kyle Hendricks. 
those are good pitchers. So it's not like he's free. But I see potential for a guy that I have hated year after year after year, always arguing with people about Robbie Ray. I'm ready to, to actually support Robbie Ray. I can get behind. I, I don't like Robbie Ray, just to put that out there. But I can get behind the idea of him being a league winner if things break right more than I could Carlos Martinez, who I actually like more than Robbie Ray. But I just think there's such a clear limit on Carlos Martinez's upside. That, That's probably uh, true. He's yeah. never going to be more than like a useful useful uh, part of a winning team as opposed to, you know, somebody yeah. who makes puts you over the top, really. Then, yeah, then I would say Paxton and Ray have that insane yeah. upside where they could just have like a ridiculously good season. I can see Ma- it for Paxton. I'll throw Matthew Boyd out there. You know, that yeah, exercise I sure. was talking about yesterday about looking for range of outcomes for hitters. I've also started working on something for pitchers. And if you break out Matthew Boyd by his, by 11 start stretches last year, uh, he showed the skills to literally be the best pitcher in baseball. He had some stretches where the, the strikeout rate was elite. The control was good. <laughs> Better than time last now. <laughs> he had some stretches where he didn't give up a lot of home runs. And so, you know, when I create the range of outcomes for him, you know, I, you could, he could have a 250 ERA in a short season. He could also have a 650 ERA. He might have the widest range of outcomes of any pitcher in baseball. But if you're talking about a league winner, a guy you can get in the 150 range who could be top five in strikeouts with a sub three ERA. That's one of them. I thought about Matthew Boyd, but the thing I keep coming back to with him is the Tigers are going to be so bad. They're going to be awful. Like he's going to need just to have a 500 record. He's going to need to have pretty good luck. uh, Well, loss. And, And obviously if it's a really short season that, you know, the NL, could, Cy, the NL Cy Young winner has won 23 games the last two seasons. I mean, that's true. If he's <laughs> as good as Jacob deGrom. Uh, and I'm not he'll saying still, he he'll still be, be a potential league winner for you. But like, I don't want... I feel like we've gotten to the point now, uh, you know, for, over the years we were downgrading the idea of the win. And, and, you know, obviously there's no predictive nature to wins whatsoever. And they don't demonstrate how good a pitcher is uh, better than any like just about any other stat you could point to would but they are nonetheless the most valuable statistic a pitcher can get in traditional fantasy score uh format so um yeah you, you don't know, see a lot of bad for. teams here you you look yeah. at the league winners you don't see a lot of bad teams like, yeah but like marco gonzalez won 16 games um lance Lynn, i don't know what texas's record was last year but they, they weren't were very good mediocre yeah, but there weren't as bad as Detroit. Well, okay. part of it, though, part Detroit's of it, though, gonna, part of that, though, is teams perform better when they have a guy who pitches like a league winner in fantasy. Like Matthew Boyd's won nine games each of the last two seasons with a five three nine and four five or four three nine and four five six ERA. So, like, he probably doesn't have he doesn't have twenty win upside. Scott. But, I don't- you know, the Tigers won 47 games last year. They right, were seven got, games worse got, than the Orioles. And he got nine <laughs> of them while being yeah. a below average pitcher. Scott, so I don't I, know if you heard, but they're, they're drafting Spencer Tor- Torkelson tonight. And he's going to turn the team around, baby. So just yeah. you wait. We'll see what happens yeah. with the Detroit Tigers. But I appreciate, this the, year. I appreciate the Matt Boyd and the Robbie Ray callouts because 
We're going to take a break. But when we come back, we'll talk about some late round sleepers in the runs and strikeout categories. And of course, Robbie Ray and Matthew Boyd fit that mold. We'll do that right here on Fantasy Baseball Today. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. All right, we're back here. Fantasy Baseball today. We're going to give you some category sleepers, some late-round contributors in the runs and strikeout categories. Let's start off with runs, and this is an interesting category, and you've already mentioned this throughout the course of the week, Scott, where if you draft someone who you expect to contribute in home runs, that means they're likely helping you in runs because every time they hit a home run, they're scoring a run. But let's take a look at some of these names uh, from the past, from last year. For example, you know, uh, Cole Calhoun scored 92 runs. Leori Garcia scored 93 runs. Shinsu Chu, 93 runs. Last year, uh, you roughly needed 1,150 runs scored to finish first place in that category in a 12-team Roto League. That averages out to 82 runs scored per starting hitter on your roster. Keep in mind, you have to, in most Roto Leagues, start two catchers, which means yeah, that... Catchers are going to get 100 between them. Unless you like invest heavily, exactly. So you're gonna have you're gonna need some pick me ups throughout the course of your lineup, especially in the runs category. So Scott, get us started here. Who are some players that might come to mind for you that can help out in that runs category? Well, yeah, I, I, I just to kind of clarify what you said earlier. Um, I do talk about how I don't specifically target runs or RBI and drafts, and I I think the home run. A player who's good at home runs is going to help you more in RBI. But what really, what really uh, helps in the runs category is just getting on base, and then where the player bats in the lineup, uh, how many bats he's able to get during a game, and also who's who's there batting behind him, which is a big part of why Cole Calhoun scored as many runs as he did last year with the Angels. Uh, but getting on base is the main thing. So. Like Shinsu Chu is going to remain a good source of that. Uh, Mark Canna, honestly, I know I want to say his name for everything and people are tired of hearing it, but the, the thing he did better than anything else was get on base. His OBP was right behind guys like Trout and Bregman. And, uh, you know, and only 410 at bats, he scored 80 runs last year. So that's, he's going to be a big help in that. Um, Luke. Voigt might actually be pretty good at this. 
because he has shown an ability to get on base at an elite clip and is going to probably, you know, bat bat high enough in the Yankees lineup to make good on it. Uh, those are the first names that come to mind. I don't know. Any, any of you guys got one? I'll well, keep looking. I, oh, of course. Adam Eaton was one last year. He should be one again this year. You know, you, you should expect that Nationals offense to be worse than it was in 2019 because they did lose Anthony Rendon. Uh, but as long as he's really, as long as you're hitting near the top of the lineup, even in a bad lineup, like Jonathan VR scored 111 runs last year. Even in a bad lineup, if you're the leadoff hitter and you're competent, uh, you can score a lot of runs. So I think you look at Tommy LaStella, if he hits leadoff for the, for the Angels, could score a ton of runs, even if the power breakthrough that we saw last year wasn't for real. Um, he might only play against righties, but, but he yeah, might. I mean, we'll the, the skill set is there for that. And, and I have that same question for Eaton. Do we think he's going to sit against lefties? Because I, I think Michael Taylor missed most of the year. And I just don't I, see why he would. Well, he historically has not been a very good hitter against lefties. And I think in 2018, they were sitting him against... Le- in 2018, he sat against lefties. Uh, he struggled against them in 17 and 18. He was good against them in 2019. I'm guessing he probably doesn't at the start of the season, but he's going to have to at least do decently against them. Yeah, and, um, with Howie and, Kendrick on the bench, with as Drupal Cabrera on the bench, with Michael Taylor on the bench, they actually have a pretty good bench. Ryan Zimmerman, uh, but they do have that extra DH. Obviously, is he actually uh, bad though? Going. Is he bad against lefties though, Adam? Because in his he career, wasn't last year, but he was in 2017 and 18. Well, 280 hitter, was, 280 hitter in his career was against lefties. Like 23 games. Okay, so 2018. Yeah, I I think 2018 was probably more about him coming back from that knee surgery and just trying to keep him fresh. But last year, you know, he was able to stay healthy. I, I don't think I, I I'm looking at him as an everyday play. I'm in, not in actually. I think that uh, they, I think they have enough bench depth that they would. I just don't think any of those guys are as good as him. Like yeah. Howie Kendrick is, but he's he can't not play the good. outfield. This is a guy like I used to love Adam Eaton. The guy, this is one of the worst power hitting bats in baseball. And like, a, yeah, as but a get, lineup getting regular. on base is still the most valuable thing. And he's a really a good, he, like he's a good player overall, especially when you take into account like Howie Kendrick can't play the field really much anywhere. You know, he's really a first baseman at this point. Uh, as Drupal Cabrera, you mentioned, you know, he's a corner infielder, maybe a shortstop. Michael Taylor's the only one of those guys who could reasonably play the outfield. Plus, um, it, it, has anybody Taylor's pointed out good. yet that they have the, the DH now? Yeah, yeah, I did, but I still think yeah. they have one of the best benches. Um, but, okay, okay, you know what? Look, it's worth drafting. Yeah. <laughs> because if it doesn't happen, then whatever, you can pivot from it. But if he does play every day, Adam Eaton is definitely going to be uh, a runs contributor for sure. It's a good call. I'll give Trent you Grisham. Trent Grisham, a high OBP throughout his course in the minor leagues. You don't know where he's going to bat in the right. Padres lineup yet. I would guess probably towards the bottom of the lineup because they do have some guys they can use up top, but definitely fifth, has has some OBP upside there. Fifth is where roster resource projects him to bat, but it's, it's not know, bad. fifth isn't that bad. Uh, and I would add that it, it's one of those situations where he'll probably move up as he as he proves he can do it. Um, Alex Verdugo. Depend, you know, he'll probably start out low in the Red Sox lineup too. But it's a similar situation where if he plays like we think he can, they'll probably want to put him toward the top of the lineup. 
Uh, you know, obviously in a shortened season, I guess there'll be less time to do that. So that's worth pointing out. How about Shed Long? He might be the leadoff hitter for the Seattle Mariners. And, you know, he'll draw a walk. He had a 9.5% walk rate in the majors, 8% in AAA uh, in 2019. And he's been at or above 10% pretty consistently throughout his career. He obviously, he needs to, you know, hit 260 to 270 to, you know, really make that worth it. But if he can have a 270 average, he hit 263 last year. You know, there's not a ton of fantasy potential, but I could see him putting up something like what Adam Eaton did last year. You know, worst batting average, but, you know, 95 runs, double-digit homers, double-digit steals. That's the starting player in, in a Roto League for sure. Yeah, career Nick Solak for you. What's uh, up? Nick Solak. Okay. Two names yep. real quick. Um, Andrew McCutcheon. Yep. That's a good and one. And Matt Carpenter, actually. I was kind of thinking about this today. Matt Carpenter is someone that maybe would really benefit from the designated hitter. Maybe he's just kind of getting old and being able to play half a game, not run out there in the field. Maybe that helps him. If Matt Carpenter does bounce back and is good, he's going to score a lot of runs, like a lot of runs. Two names that I'll mention that are draftable in 12-team leagues, and we've already talked about both of these guys this week, but Paul DeYoung, we mentioned for home yep. runs. He scored 97 runs last year. Like, Yeah, what? I, no, I did not realize that at all. I saw that today. I was like, I was baffled. And then Brian... It's not even that great. Like, We have to put that in perspective. Did you say how many people scored 100 runs? Because that wasn't even top 30, 97 runs. It's not so bad. 20, it's good. 29 yeah, we're hitters. We're talking about late rounds. Your expectations yeah. have to be lower. Yes. 29 it's hitters. Not, it's not scored. an eye popping stat anymore. There were like 20 more people, or I think there were 20 more players that scored 90 runs last year than in 2018. I'm trying to figure out why he even scored that many runs because he's not a high on base guy. He, he, he batted, batted at the top of the lineup most of the year, didn't he? Uh, let me see. Yeah, he was so batting he was third, or third for most of the through season. July, and then he dropped in the lineup. So for for two-thirds of the year, he was batting in the top third of the lineup, and then he dropped to fifth. I'm going to say it's, it was fool's gold, Frank. All righty. Brian Reynolds. Here's a, we mentioned the yeah. name already, but for batting average, and he scored 83 runs in 134 games last year. That projects to 100 over the course of a full season. So even in a bad lineup, he's going to get on base. He's going to hit for batting average. So How about Brian Anderson? He's someone I'm starting to talk myself into uh, as a sleeper across the board. Homer. And well, <laughs> I mean, no, I really like, I haven't really thought all that much about him. I actually did, uh, you know, I was on the turn two podcast yesterday talking about the Marlins and I did sort of talk myself into like Brian Anderson had a 45% hard hit rate last season and, you know, a 9% barrel rate. He took these small steps forward across the board and he was on pace for like 25 homers, 80 runs, 70 yard. 80 RBI, 70 runs. He obviously would need to improve on that. However, this should be a better Marlins lineup. He'll probably hit second. I could see a you know 25, 90, 90 pace with a 270 average. I think Brian Anderson could be you know kind of what Kyle Seeger used to be, which you know is never a superstar, but could be a, a useful corner infielder. Chris, I have a question. Yeah. Were you insulted that they brought you on the podcast to talk about like the least interesting 
team one of the least uh no okay no. that's the marlins they Let's were looking, that chris towers guy they were looking for people who uh who follow the who teams. like the marlins okay and okay. uh like there that. aren't many of us but actually you know they're kind of interesting are though aren't they like it was well, sort of a bad joke on my part they have the marlins are kind of interesting. <laughs> the marlins have a like literally like six guys who will probably be on the roster who are in their top uh 10 prospects right now and so that makes them interesting on its own, let alone the fact that, you know, they, they've got a couple of guys in their lineup who are kind of interesting and the pitching staff remains interesting, intriguing. Yeah. The Marlins could be good in uh, honestly a couple of years. It wouldn't surprise me based on some of the prospects that they have in their That's system. So Jeter. That is so Jeter. What? Uh, you are nothing you, to do with I Jeter. I would say Yankees fans are probably uniformly more optimistic about the Marlins than I am. <laughs> Uh, I don't really like most of the prospects they have, but they're all interesting. The Marlins love getting interesting players. And then dealing them off for... Uh... Well, no, they, they get like guys who are good and then trade them for guys who are interesting. Shout out yeah. Edward Cabrera, someone I keep drafting in Dynasty Leagues. I'm excited Jazz about Chisholm could be a regular yeah, that's, this that's year. That's the one I was thinking of, the Zach Gallon trade. Oh, look, look, their Ozuna trade, it did pay off after all because Zach Gallon is great. Wait, let's deal him for this <laughs> prospect named Jazz Chisholm with a super risky profile who may not that's, amount to anything. That's what they, the Marlins the Marlins love winning combines. Yeah. <laughs> too soon, too soon, Scott. Just lay off. Lay off poor Chris I mean, they're there. They're excited about Jazz Chisholm. He hasn't failed yet. He was having a big spring too, so we'll see what happens. Uh let's let's quickly talk about some late round contributors for strikeouts. You guys have already mentioned some of the names, Robbie Ray and Matt, Matthew Boyd. I uh said it at the top. Last year there were more strikeouts in baseball, a higher K per 9 overall than ever before. There were 24 pitchers with 200 or more strikeouts uh and that was just 18 in 2018, 16 in 2017, and 12 in 2016. According to last year's Roto finishes, uh, you needed about 1,600 strikeouts to finish in first place, and that's about 178 per spot in your pitching lineup. So, Scott, give us one, two, a few, however many you want, late-round contributors for strikeouts. Ah, yes. Now, this is this is an interesting category to talk about because it's basically strikeout potential that moves pitchers up the rankings more than anything else. So, you know, most most of the guys on my list are are those those same big splash type of guys we were talking about at the top of the show who, you know, they could go the Lucas Giolito route, guys like Mitch Keller and Nate Pearson, Dylan Cease of the White Sox is another good example of that. Uh, Corbin Burns might be the 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 deepest of all of them. Yes. Uh, given that he's already, you know, kind of failed as a reliever, how why would we invest in him as a starter? Well, because he's got crazy good stuff. AJ Puck fits that description. My favorite is Josh James, who I've talked about a lot. He had nearly 15 strikeouts per nine as a reliever, a multi-inning reliever last year, and uh, is presumed to be to presume to have a spot in the Astros starting rotation now. He had some control issues last year, but he made an adjustment to his delivery that is hopefully going to put it into that. I mean, you look at his minor, his his last season in the minors, which was spent almost exclusively as a starter. He dominated there. So I think there's, especially in strikeouts, but uh, 
but really all the way across the board, there's a chance for Josh James to be a huge asset. Uh, there are a couple of guys who are more proven as pitchers, but if, if you're, if you're pretty proven and you're delivering a big strikeout total and you're available late at starting pitcher these days, I, I mean, it means you have some real flaws. So I'm not even sure how aggressively I'd want to pursue a guy like Caleb Smith, for instance, uh, or, uh, Cole Hamels. I mean, obviously there's a lot of risk there. I, yeah. I, you know, I mean, Chris, you're looking at Adam, like, you guys have 30 seconds each. Cause I do want to answer some emails. Andrew Heaney was 11th in, in swinging strike rate rate among swinging strike rate among pitchers with at least 50 innings last season who were starters. Uh, so he's a good one. Denelson Lamette's not quite as deep. Matthew Boyd's not quite as deep. Griffin Canning, if he stays healthy, uh, full me seven times, but Kevin Gosman <laughs> is, uh, he got a lot of swing strikes last season. He's playing in San Francisco. That's a good park for pitchers. Maybe he could have a random 200 strikeout, 37 ERA kind of pace. Um, Kyle Gibson, Marquez, Mercy! Dylan Bundy. That's your 30 seconds. Dylan Bundy is a great one, too. That's a call that I like. (laughs) Adam, you're up. Michael Kopech, Mitch Keller, Brennan McKay, Dylan Cease. Goodbye. Mercy! Fantasy Baseball at CVSI.com. Continue to send us your emails. I really wanted to get to this one because we've been trying to get to it all week long, Scott. And tonight is the MLB draft, or at least the first round. And Tutley25 wanted to ask... With the MLB draft fast approaching it's tonight, I'd love to hear Scott's thoughts on Spencer Torkelson versus Austin Martin as the top available position players projected to go first and second one way or another with those two guys in tonight's draft, Scott. So Austin Martin... See, I do it too. Martin as opposed to Martin. Uh, Austin Martin is... Um, the guy he gets compared to is Dansby Swanson, who, you know, we think... We, we think he could end up having a pretty good year and maybe he's a little undervalued in fantasy now, but he's only become undervalued because he hasn't performed like we expect a number one overall pick to perform. And I don't think he has, you know, anybody's hoping for that kind of upside from him anymore either. So it's just, it's a, it's a high floor profile, but like, is he going to have the kind of power potential to really be an impact fantasy player in this environment? I mean, before they even set foot in the minor leagues, I'm, I'm, reluctant to put limits on their upside. Uh, but between the two, between him and Spencer Torkelson, Torkelson me- seems like the the more attractive fantasy pick. Uh, big right-handed bat who should hit for average and power gets on base a lot. Kind of like, it, it's, it's weird. Andrew Vaughn of the White Sox was drafted third overall last year, I believe. And he's a right-handed hitting first baseman. Same thing for Torkelson. Like that seems like the like if you, if you're getting drafted that high as a right-handed hitting first baseman, uh, you know, limited defensively, obviously, and a right-handed hitter, it means you have a ton of upside offensively. And uh, I think that's probably true for Torkelson. So, um, yeah, if I was investing in either of those guys into Dynasty League, I'd go Torkelson. Torkelson, 54 home runs in 498 collegiate at-bats has been comped to Pete Alonso, so that's some of the pop that we're talking about there. Uh, We'll find out later on tonight. We'll see what happens there in the MLB draft. This next question comes from Brandon, 
Should we change our opinion on players who are traditional slow starters this year? And we've talked about this the past couple of weeks. Uh, When the season starts, it will be late enough to avoid the early cold weather areas across the country. Will this help players like Kluber and Encarnacion avoid their common April struggles? And then on the flip side, is it something that you have to worry about later on in the season if it goes deeper into October or November? I will just add, it sounds like the owners have set a cutoff date for September 27th, no matter when we start. So I don't think we're going to be playing into October or November, at least in the regular season. But does anyone have any thoughts on this um, regarding slow starters? I don't think there's any way to know for sure. I don't really... I don't really believe in the concept of slow starters. I'm just... I'm not sure that it's really a thing that we see all that often. Um consistently i guess at least um it's yeah. just and when carnacion chris i mean that was the example given in the email and i was like that's a good point but he actually yeah. had an 861 ops in april and march last year so yeah and like Corey kluber you know, i think it's happened twice you know if brian dozier were still relevant <laughs> I, <laughs> I might be like avoid brian dozier but I, I, I do think, think, think the only one i do think Encarnacion. i mean last year may have been an exception and and it it still may be a fluke, but like that's that's the amount of experience a player would have to have before I lend any credence to it. And and then even if you do, you don't know why he gets off to a slow start. Is it because it's colder outside, or is it because he just needs reps? He just needs more reps than the average player to really find his groove. And uh, you know, if if that's the case, then he's actually a bad investment this year. Yeah, it's it's just a tough it's tough to separate the signal from the noise in this kind of thing. Like Edwin Encarnacion does have a career 752 OPS in April and March. I, I just, I don't know. Is that, is that because early on in his career before he broke out, there were three multiple seasons where he p- started on opening day, played the first month and then became a role player. And maybe it's just more heavily weighted to the early part of his career. Then. So I'm That's, looking at it right now. And actually, I've only gotten back to 2015, but we're talking 15, 16, 17, 18. Pretty horrible into in the first month of the season. 2019 is the exception. So now I'm actually starting to get a little bit. I'm not going to back off because it could just be fluky. Maybe it is a weather thing. I don't know. But I actually think that's a pretty good call. Edwin Encarnacion is, a, is probably the best example of a typically slow starter and worth considering, I would say. I'm yeah, going like, to ignore it, but I don't. I think it's legit. Anecdotally, players who uh, come from warm weather areas, that that is the kind of player who we typically say struggles with the early months. But I, again, it's not necessarily something that I that I fully believe has a ton of predictability. This next one comes from Trent. So I typically dread the draft position I end up with in our 10-team Roto League, which is randomized prior to each year's draft. This year, I was lucky enough to get the three spot. Perfect. Perfect. In a Roto League, which I hope to be able to utilize if slash when we have a season. My question for you guys is, God forbid there is no season. What is more fair? A, use the same draft order we would have had from 2020 and 2021 or re-randomize a new draft order for 2021. Adam, you don't want to lose that top three pick. 
You're well, going to lose that there, pick. There's going to be a season. If you, well, be a season. if you just randomize it, what would be the argument for keeping it in t- the 2020 randomization for 2021? Because he wants to keep his third yeah. overall pick. <laughs> right. Obviously. But that's just, nothing <laughs> really, really changed to the player pool. <laughs> right. So. But that's, well, that's not true. You know, players who are hurt, you know, pl- prospects, th- there will definitely okay. be changes. But, but not the top not 12 picks, not that right? I mean, right. Like, but I just, like, if your argument is I want the number three pick, that's, that's not. An argument. Here's a fun one, right? <laughs> Think about the top 12 right now. You know, the typical top 12. Who would fall out of it? Like, who would who would lose value if the season weren't played? If we Scherzer. just went... St- Why? Scherzer and Verlander, because... Scherzer they just, will be, so old. They just yeah. had a year. Be, they just had a year to rest. Yeah, right. But Scherzer will be thirty-six years old. Verlander will be thirty-eight. But it's not like their arm is older. They didn't pitch the whole season, right? Well, the arm is still not, older. Right, that's not Marshawn, how, Marshawn, Marshawn, I was an older really year off. Came back and was, was good. And was they didn't do anything. Who Lynch? Yeah, no, he he was like better than he was the uh, in the year before he retired for a season. But when he came back to Oakland, he was very good. Yeah, he was like surprisingly good. It was wasn't weird. he like unusable for the first half of the season? Oh no no no, I Chris! So. I was oh, a big Lynch fan that year. He was he was very good. Check it out. And if, and if obviously you, if it applies to Marshawn Lynch, it would obviously apply to Scherzer and Verlander. It's basically the same thing. I'll tell you one thing that will change. <laughs> if there's no season, Mookie Betts will become a free agent. And then he will sign with the New York Yankees oh, and become Go a top away. three pick in fantasy oh. baseball. And the Marlins will reacquire John Carlos Stanton for Jazz Chisholm or whatever. And the clear the books for Mookie Betts. That is a perfect way to ride off into the sunset and end today's show. For Scott, Adam, and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow with RJ Anderson, MLB writer for CBSSports.com to help us break down and recap the first round of the MLB draft. We'll do that on tomorrow's show. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.